Good morning, and what a beautiful autumn day we have. And I was thinking of the words that we just sang, with all creation I sing to the King of Kings, and how awesome is God's name. And we're going to be looking at some of those things today. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100, or in your lesson, it's printed in there, Psalm 100, and we'll be looking at Psalm 111 as well. If I can get all my stuff here. All right. Oh, I need this one. I'm moving a little slow this morning, you guys. Just getting a sneak preview for when I turn 90 (laughs) next week. (laughs) I pushed 39 about as far as I can, and now it's getting uphill. All right. I'm going to, we have it in in the New King James in our lesson. I'm going to read it to you in uh, the New Living Translation, but let's pray first. Lord, we do praise you with all the creation. We sing. Lord, with joyful hearts that you love us so much, that you've done so much for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word today, we would really grasp that, Lord, how much we have, everything we have, Lord, is given to you by your hand, by your grace, by your mercy. Lord, we love you. I thank you that we have the privilege and the freedom to gather together. And I pray that you would bless your word, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Touch our hearts, Lord in the way that you would have us to live and to understand who you are and your great and awesome love for us and just just how perfect your plan is, Lord. We lift up this day to you, the election day for our country. Lord, I pray for this country. I pray, Lord, that this nation would not accept sin and godlessness, Lord, but that it would um, be a nation that has repented and turns to you even as Nineveh did, Lord, and grieved over sin and a desire for you and the things of you, Lord. And we pray that you would um, give us wisdom as we vote, Lord, to vote for your principles, to vote in a way that is in accordance with your word, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you. We praise you that you're on the throne, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. In Psalm 111, praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. 
He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. So those are powerful words. And we start with Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving, it says. And we don't have to wait, and we're not going to wait until Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, November 22nd. We're going to get a head start on Thanksgiving this morning. And this is a psalm of praise, the only psalm given this type of a title or name, a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And it begins and ends with an invitation for everyone to praise God. We're giving God, giving to him the fruit of our lips and the sacrifice of praise. And I want you to keep that in your mind, sacrifice of praise. It's interesting, as you read through the scriptures, the many sacrifices that were required in the Old Testament. They had a lot of sacrifices. There were a lot of barbecues going on. They were sacrifices to atone for sin, sacrifices for consecration, sacrifices that were peace offerings, until we get to the ultimate sacrifice paid by Jesus for our sins. And as we read through from Genesis to Revelation, we find out that because of Jesus being the final and ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that remains is the sacrifice of praise. And that's the only one, the only sacrifice left now is the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. All the other sacrifices have been abolished. Hebrews 13:15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And verse 1 continued, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth, all the earth, because in all the earth and in every land, goodness from God is seen. So in every land, the Lord should be praised by all people in the earth's population. And this is even prophetic, I think, because Scripture tells us in Revelation chapters 5 and 14 that from every kindred, which is every kind of people, every nation and tongue, every language and nationality, there will be people saved by Jesus who will all be praising him together. We're going to all be praising him together with people from every land. Make a joyful noise. Shout to the Lord. And we can picture it almost like a scene from a stadium uh, full of enthusiastic sports fans. They're wildly and ecstatically cheering for their team that they love. Only now it's the people of the earth, not just Israel. We're all unified in cheering and praising and making a joyful noise and shouting for the God and Savior that we love. Verse 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Not just singing, with joy. Think of how your heart leaps for joy when you see the one you love, whether it's a new little puppy or <laughs> or that sweet little grandchild or your own precious new baby. 
is that the state of your heart towards the God who loves you like this? His heart leaps for joy over you. You're not droopy and gloomy when you're finally getting those moments you've longed for with the one that you love. You're happy. You're glad. And if we're serving the Lord, and we are all, by the way, serving the Lord, wherever the Lord has placed you, or whether it's here, we think, it, you know, in ministry, in the church, whether it's watching and teaching kids or making the coffee in the hospitality ministry or even just turning off the lights and picking up the papers at church or a pastor, a missionary in the field, we are to serve him and give to him with gladness in our hearts and from our mouths. Do we get tired and down so we want to grumble? We do. As human beings, we're going to... Uh, get down and are our bodies going to not want to lift our arms up and praise the Lord like we would like to because they're getting creaky and old? Yes. <laughs> but in our hearts, in our hearts, that's what God's looking at. It's a mockery to God for a person to complain about their service to God. Keep that in mind when you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. Because it's a privilege to serve the Lord in all things. So we don't want to be a griping servant or take God and his goodness for granted. God loves a cheerful giver, he says, in 2 Corinthians 9-7. So whether it's giving of your time, your abilities, your tithes, whatever it is that you give, give it joyfully. Uh, Harry taught on this psalm, I don't know, a year, a couple of years back, uh, Psalm 100 before. And I like the example that he gave us on the type of Christian we're not to be like. And that's Eeyore. And I think, Ruthie, did you give him a little Eeyore? Somebody gave him a little Eeyore doll. I forgot to bring it this morning. But he got a cute little Eeyore, and we like to look at it to remember. Anyway, Eeyore is a character from Winnie the Pooh. And he was always pessimistic and gloomy and depressed. Eeyore would say, good morning, Pooh Bear, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. (laughs) He'd say gloomily. And that's how a lot of Christians can be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting raptured, but probably not today. (laughs) We're not grateful to the Lord or a good witness for him if we're an Eeyore Christian. Isaiah 55:12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. We just sang that. With all creation I sing. So if the rocks and trees can do it, how much more should we? And when we sing to the Lord, are we? I mean, are we just listening to some entertainment? Mara is beautiful. She's got a beautiful voice. But, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord, that her heart loves you. And she prays and chooses words that are going to minister to us and bless you. Are we just singing some tune that we like to sing and not thinking about what we're singing and to whom we're singing it to? It doesn't matter how you sing in terms of volume or skill. What matters is that your heart and mind are focused on the words and the Lord. And we allow that act of worship to draw us closer to the Lord. Singing to the Lord comes from our heart, not from ability. And it has nothing to do with carrying a tune. It's not even important. It's what we're carrying in our heart to the Lord, to Jesus that matters. Someone once said, I would rather my heart be without words than my words be without heart. 
verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, let's think about that. The Lord is God. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Wherever you go, he's with you. We acknowledge, meaning we have knowledge that God is good and that he is the only living and true God. Our worship of him must be intelligent. And who said they're taking a class and learning about things like that? It isn't. We talked about faith, but there's also a knowing of the facts, knowing him, knowing him intimately. Not just a passing, yeah, I think there's a God and yeah, Jesus walked the earth. You've got to know who it is you're worshiping. That's why Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, knowing. There's an instinctive desire inside of each one of us, inside of me, inside of you, inside of every person, to try to be happy. It's like that instinct to take a drink of water to satisfy thirst. And it's no accident that that instinct is there. God placed it there. We have that instinct. We're trying to fill a hole within us that God put there for the purpose of being filled by him and him only. And people who aren't close to the Lord or don't know him at all, they're attempting to fill the hole, this longing for happiness and satisfaction with all the wrong things, the things that are found in this world that cannot satisfy. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's going to place within you those good things to desire, and he will bring them to pass. The more we know him, the more we grasp and understand his character and his love for us and his goodness, the more we trust him. You and I, ought to know very closely whom we worship. So it's vital that we spend time in his word getting to know him, coming to him in prayer, and just being close to him throughout the day. And we prove our knowledge of him by our obedience to him and our trusting in him. Verse 3 continued, says, He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, we've seen little kids put their shoes on the opposite feet, right shoe on the left, left shoe on the right. A little kid put his shoes on the wrong feet, and his mama says, Sweetie, I think you put your shoes on the wrong feet. And the little kid answered, But Mama, these are the only feet I've got. (laughs) In his misunderstanding, this little kid made an important point. The features God has given us are the only ones we've got. It's easy today with all the perfect models and celebrities that are airbrushed that we see constantly in media. <laughs> see, I spackled. I don't airbrush. I spackle. To become a <laughs> pry out the industrial strength girdle and stuff. You know, we, we tweak. But anyway, this is what we have. Anyway, we get dissatisfied with who we are and what we've been given. Our looks, our intelligence, our skills, our talents, our personality, our physical build. Oh, I wish I had straight, bouncy hair, cute like Connie. And then if you have straighter, oh, I wish I had curls. Oh, I wish I was taller. Oh, I wish I was petite. Doesn't it seem like we 
We like what the other person has. Oh, I wish I was a little smarter. Oh, I wish I was a little wittier. Oh, I wish I was a little this and that. But God declares that you are his handiwork. We are his handiwork. He shaped us in our mother's womb. We are skillfully made. And we have to accept that the way that the potter made the clay is the way the potter wanted to form and make the clay. We are unique in God's sight, and we are each one of us a one-of-a-kind person. Even if you're a twin or a, twi- a triplet or a, I don't know, what octomom, what we're all her eight the same, octuplets or whatever. Anyway, they're still each unique, created for God's specific purpose and glory to accomplish for him only what you can do. God made you to reach people that somebody else won't. God made you a specific, unique way. He has given each of you a gift, each of you something unique in your personality, in the place he's put you, the family he's put you in, the geographic location, the age group, the uh, workplace, whatever it is. God, by design, before you were made, designed you and has a place and a plan for you. So let's take stock of who we are and thank God for his perfect wisdom in creating you and me to be that one-of-a-kind treasure made by him. Even if it's rusting and falling apart, even in those situations, the Lord can use you. And uh, even in our best days, but even in our days when it's not our best day, we're infirm. I think of how powerfully the Lord used Sandy when she was in the hospital when they were saying, she won't walk again, she won't talk again. And yet, glory to God when she walked and she talked and said, glory to him. And so, even when we think, what have I got to offer? What have I got that's of any use? Or what have I got that's even a gift? When I see somebody that looks more gifted, the Lord uses it all. It is he who made us, we could not make ourselves. So that means we are not our own, but his. Your life depends on him. My life depends on him. We are dependent on him. We are living on God's earth, and the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, Psalm 24, 1 says. We breathe God's air. We drink his water. We eat his food. We spend his money. It's actually all his. Everything that we have, everything that we see, everything we're surrounded with, it's his. We are the sheep of his pasture. We're just grazing in his field. And he takes care of his flock. So we enjoy the privileges and benefits that only his flock gets and his people can enjoy. Like the peace and assurance of eternal salvation later. And the benefit of Romans 8.28 right now. We know that that God causes everything to work together for good. For the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That's right now. There's benefits now. There's benefits later. There are benefits in every pasture that our shepherd puts us in. It does not apply to people who are not of his flock, by the way, only to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are his sheep. Verse 4, enter his gates. His gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's by his mercy that we're even permitted to enter his gates. So let's praise him for that mercy and bless him with our hearts and lives as well as what's on our tongues. Job said in chapter 121, Bless the Lord and praise him when he takes away 
as well as when he gives. As long as we live and under all circumstances, God will always be worthy and deserving of our praise. It's really easy to praise God when the sun is shining, the butterflies are flying, it's peace and contentment, it's a beautiful day, all my bones are feeling good, everything's feeling fine and looking fine. But what about when it's the middle of a fierce storm or I'm not feeling so good? And what about in that fierce storm everything's been blown away and wiped out? Are you still praising him? That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Because that's when it isn't easy. I think of David when he said he isn't going to give to the Lord if it didn't cost him something. Lord, it's easy for me to praise you when it all feels good and looks good. But you know, Lord, today it doesn't feel good and look good. It is a sacrifice. It is costing me something. It isn't so easy to think those thoughts, to feel that in my heart, to want to sing that song. But I'm going to do it, not based on how I feel and what I see, but based on who you are, holy, the one who made me, the one who I can trust to be with me through this storm. And that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. And I had a song that I've been listening to a lot lately um, that's sung by Casting Crowns, Praise Him in This Storm. And the words are, I don't remember all the words, but it strikes me as um, when the person is singing and they're talking about praising him in the storm. I pray for the storm to stop, but the rain is still coming down. Amen, which means so be it. Okay, I'll still praise you in that. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. That's why I'm going to praise him. And yes, this sums up his character. He is good, gracious, kind, bountiful, loving. God is love. His unfailing love continues forever. The psalmist knows this. God is not mere justice, stern and cold. He loves us and desires all of us to know him and benefit from him. And for none to perish. Are those that are perishing? Yes. Are those who are not of his flock? Yes. That's not his choice and his desire. He wants all to be in his flock and none to perish and all to benefit from that closeness and that relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into fellowship and partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And continuing in verse 5, his faithfulness continues to each generation. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord our God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So God, he's not fickle, he's not capricious, which means vacillating or moody and changing. No, he's always faithful. And his mercies... They are, for you and for me, new every morning. The everlasting, unchangeable mercy of God. Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so what a beautiful exhortation we have in Psalm 100. And we're going to move on now to Psalm 111. And this also is just in your lesson, or you can turn there. And this psalm praises God, and its title is Hallelujah, Praise You the Lord. It's praising Him for His works and also for His redemption, which is the new song that will be sung in heaven. Sing a new song. Remember, we just sang that a few minutes. Well, that's the new song that's going to be sung in heaven. The old song is the song of creation. The new song is the song of redemption. And they are both in Psalm 111. Also, in Hebrew, Psalm 111 is uh, what they call a perfect acrostic, uh, where each of its 22 lines, it has 22 lines like the Hebrew alphabet, with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order exactly, which we can't see in our English translation. But it was written that way in a style so that they could remember it better like us memorizing our ABCs. So verse 1, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. I will thank the Lord with all my heart, with my whole heart, as I meet with his godly people. We praise God in both our private moments, alone, and in public, in church, with other believers. And it's always a good time to praise the Lord. With my whole heart, and it doesn't say or mean with half my heart, Half my heart to God and half my heart in the world, belonging to the world, thinking and loving the world. All my heart. It means all to God, all the energy and the entireness of every thought and feeling and effort. How can we persuade anyone of the goodness and truth of God's word and his salvation if it doesn't carry that weight and that conviction in our own heart? It's got to be backed up by our own example and conduct and our own choices. We can't ever expect to persuade others by arguments that are too weak to influence our own own selves, our own heart. So do I believe God or not when I read his word? Do I obey him or not? Am I seeking him first in my life or not? Does he have my whole heart? And that sounds like a lot. It sounds like a tall order. And when we think about doing that for the Lord, it really almost seems like, Lord, you're asking too much. I mean, we're just humans. Well, we are just humans. We are, and he knows that. He knows we're weak, we're frail. But how many times does somebody put their full and whole heart and best effort into their hobby? or playing a sport, or their job, or their family. I love this. I'm up early. I'm doing this. Everything I got, all my interest is in this. We can do it. God promises that if we seek him first, his kingdom first, put God first, he'll add to us the things that we need, Matthew 6:33. Same thing with tithing. The Lord tells us in Malachi 3:10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, his storehouse, And he'll make sure we're taken care of abundantly. Honoring God first and putting him first, that's putting your money where your mouth is. It's first demonstrating that we really do realize, we really do reverence him as God and that he is most important to us before anything and anyone else in the world. Verse 2, how amazing are the deeds of the Lord. 
All the works of God are praiseworthy. Even the little things of God are great. Think of the little, uh, it's cool now with the internet. I can go on and you can see uh, pictures of nature, little tiny little caterpillars and butterflies and just teeny little things. The life in the womb when it's first starting. All these things that they can see with a microscope. The little things of God are even great. All who delight in him should ponder them. Think about what God does. And actually, they're too great to be fully understood by us. We just scratch the surface, really, because the works of God surpass the reach of human discovery. I mean, we're discovering more and more. We see stars that we never saw before, galaxies that we never saw before with the aid of telescopes. And we see teeny little tiny things with the aid of microscopes. And so as science and technology keeps discovering and opening up more things, it just glorifies God all the more. Oh, my goodness, we just found out about DNA, you know, just in the last couple decades. And just all of these things keep revealing the amazing wisdom and power of God, the works of God. They surpass the reach of human discovery. We think we're seeing a lot now. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. God says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Those are heights that you and I can never scale and depths that we can never fathom. But one day, we're going to be able to be with him face to face and understand and probably greater appreciate just how awesome is our God. And so when you're having a bad day and you can't, Lord, I have often prayed, Lord, thank you for things that you're doing for me and in my life that I have no comprehension of, that I can't even appreciate or see because I know you're still there and you're still who you are and you're doing them. Just thank the God even for what you don't know, the God who does it all. Solomon, the man God gave the most wisdom to ever, said in Ecclesiastes 8, that no man, even the wisest of all men, can discover everything that God is doing under the sun. He's working right now in your situation. Lord, where's the solution? Where's the answer? He's working. He's there. Would any human being have thought to get a guy to a location God wants him to by having a huge fish come and swallow him up and spit him out at just the right location that God wanted him to preach at, like he did with Jonah. That isn't how I would pick to go show up to get to the ladies' Bible study this morning. <laughs> Seaweed wrapped around my head, smelling like stinking fish. <laughs> or to pile up the waters to make a dry path through the middle of the Red Sea when our map quest and GPS would tell us, go a different way. You know, God's ways are not our ways. God delivers and makes ways where we can see no way. Just as we bend our minds, it's a mind bender, to study and understand the workings of God. That's, you know, like a a devout naturalist or a scientist we were just talking about, looking through the microscope, closely examining all nature. Or a a student of history, you know, examining all the books and the... uh, the tablets and the hieroglyphics to find the hidden facts in the stories. Well, that's how the man and woman of God should be digging into the minds of Scripture, 
hoarding up each of those grains of nuggets and gems of its golden and precious truth. God's works. And not just the universe and galaxies that we see. And not just the beautiful nature around us. Those are his mighty works. But also what he's doing in your life now. That's a mighty work. And how he has made you. You are his excellent work. And they are his joy. That is the work that is his joy. You and the work he's doing in your life. You are his most precious and valuable work. And he has declared that he will complete and perfect that good work which he began in you. Philippians 1.6 Verse 3. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. The heavens and all creation reveal and declare the glory of God, he says. So that's why mankind is without excuse, no matter where in the world you are, no matter what era you have lived in. You're surrounded by the things that show there is a God and a divine creator. And the last part of verse 3, his righteousness never fails. He is holy. He is true. And he always will be. Verse 4, he causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. God has instituted ways and means for the keeping of things to be remembered. God gave the Israelites those instructions on how to keep the Passover meal every year to remember when he delivered them out of Egypt uh, or when he had them pile up the stones after they crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land as a remembrance so they would tell their kids how he had brought them there just as he promised to. And with us, Jesus told us um, and told the disciples to remember the new covenant and promise of salvation every time we take communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we have many events and songs and days marked to remember what God has done for us. And we ought to and should remember the things that God has done for us. And do you ever thank God for his daily preservations and blessings to you for those everyday benefits not just huge milestones of when he brought you through the red sea or spit you out of the belly of the whale but just the everyday walking waking sight hearing speech just getting home safely we don't want to wait till something happens and that we pray and beg god's help Every day we want to praise him for every day that even nothing has happened. Verse 5, he gives food to those who fear him. He's our provider. Our food, in the old King James it says our meat, which doesn't mean he's trying to persecute vegetarians or he's just talking about taking care of only carnivores, but it literally means booty or spoil. It means substance. Our manna for the day, our provision, our income, all come from his hand. When you buy groceries... Do you thank him? He's our shepherd that leads us into pastures that are for our good. He gives to us what he knows we need. And that includes his word. God's word is as nourishing to our soul as that bread is to our physical body. So we don't want to neglect it. You need it every day so you're not weak. In verse 5, he always remembers his covenant. And though we as human beings are often forgetful, even with daytimers and calendars and everything else, we forget him and what he's done for us. And he never forgets about us. He never forgets you. He, all his promises to, ha, to us in his word and all the promises that he's spoken quietly to your heart, 
he hasn't and he will not forget those. He's never broken his word or changed his purpose. No promise of the Lord shall fall to the ground, Scripture says. Verse 6, he has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. Now, he kept his promise to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel. He gave them the promised land. He's given us a promised land of salvation, a place that he's prepared for us. And he shows his people what others that are not his own can't see. They don't have the Holy Spirit and they cannot discern and see spiritual things that we can now that we belong to him. Jeremiah 33 says, Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. The Lord reveals things to us. He speaks to our hearts and gives insight to those who are seeking him. He is going to direct your path and show you how to go. Sit quietly with him and in his word. Verse 7, all he does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. Truth and justice are conspicuous. They're obvious in all that God does. God never deceives or has any corrupt policy in his proceedings. He acts faithfully and righteously towards his people because he acts faithfully and righteously in everything, in all he does. And this is exactly what the action of every Christian Every person who bears his name, who bears the name of Jesus, calling themselves a Christian should be and do and live. Our every action should be one of Christ's truths. Verse 8, they are forever true. They stand fast forever and ever. What God has said shall never be unsaid. What God has said shall never be unsaid. He says his word stands and endures forever. He's working out his eternal purposes without deviation, and he always acts according to the principles of his truth. He's always good. He's always just. He's always merciful. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing with God. I'm in a bad mood today. You know, nothing like that with the Lord. All he does is from his plan from before the world began. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb, he says. And his word says that not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law of his mouth till all be fulfilled. God has a plan and we're part of that plan and he is on the throne working out that plan even on election day, whatever the outcome. Our works our works are usually wood, hay, and stubble. They don't have value. They don't last. But only the things we do in our lives that are of him, for him, Those are the things that are going to last. They are like the gold, silver, and precious stones, enduring and of great and priceless value. Verse 8 continued, To be obeyed faithfully and with integrity, obeying God. Where the fear of the Lord rules in the heart, there will be a constant, conscientious attention and care, care, thinking about what we're doing, to do what is pleasing to God, to keep his commandments, not to just agree with them or talk about them, but to do them, not to kind of sort of and compromise. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do it. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Now verse 9 in Psalm 111, he has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. God's rock-solid 
ironclad guarantee to you, to his people, of belonging to him forever. No man can snatch them away from me, Jesus said. We are redeemed from our sin and purchased at the highest possible cost. The highest possible cost. That was the precious blood of Jesus. God provided himself as a sacrifice for us to ransom and save you, to save me. You couldn't save yourself. I can't save myself. So what a holy, awe-inspiring name he has, because he has done it all. Verse 9 says, Holy and reverend is his name. God is the only one that can be called reverend. Actually, not any man. The whole name and character of God is worthy of a mere human's profoundest awe, we sang a little while ago. His name should be trembled at, never used in any profane way. God said, don't profane my name. It's holy. Don't just blurt it out there. Or even the OMG. Put, a, put a, something else in there. Oh, my grasshoppers. But not his name to just use so callously and casually. That's what I think when I see OMG. Oh, my grasshoppers. I wish we had a whole time to do just a whole study on what God says about his name and that how important and awesome his name is. It's the most important and powerful name there is. In verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning, your Bible may say, of true wisdom. The word beginning in scripture often means the chief, the most important, and the word fear uh, means reverence. The fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of the wisdom, it's the middle and it's the end. It's the whole thing. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. God says to all of us, to all humanity in Job 28:28, 28, 28, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom and to forsake evil is real understanding. We try to tell our kids that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So that they will have some kind of understanding. And sometimes they don't find out until they have gone that route. The key is what it all sums up to. They which do what the Lord says to do have a good understanding. Not they which speak. Not they which write. Not they which preach. Or they which agree with, only they which do. Do you understand the difference? The rest have a false understanding like the scribes and Pharisees had, which was enough to condemn them, not enough to save them. They knew what was right, but they didn't do it in their hearts and in their actions. The kind of men that the world says are wise are people like Aristotle or Socrates we read about in school, or today... We'd probably say, oh, Bill Gates and uh, Warren Buffett, those are smart, wise guys. They have a good sense for business, and uh, people actually even bid to have lunch with them, just to spend an hour with them to pick their brain. And these are who the world would put up there as the wise men. But Scripture says that to achieve even a huge opulent fortune is not what true wisdom is. And it's not any mere amount of knowledge that constitutes wisdom, including the knowledge of how to make money or how to succeed in business or to invent amazing technology or make huge uh, progress in medicine. Yes, those are all brilliant things, smart things, 
or people that we put up there and listen to their opinions, uh, Oprah, celebrities. Those who are exceedingly great in the world's estimation have made the biggest blunders in regards to the most important thing. Solomon, at the end of his life, after having amassed the hugest fortune ever by any single human being, agreed to this fact. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty or purpose. So if you're on the path of wisdom, which is following and obeying the Lord, uh, then these other guys in the world that the world esteems as wise they're actually really far behind you because they're far from the narrow gate which you have entered. And so obedience to God proves that your judgment is sound and wise and solid. Practical godliness is the test of wisdom. The best proof of our intelligence is found in our actually doing the will of the Lord. So in conclusion, the psalmist recommends to us the holy fear of God and that conscientious obedience to what he says as the most acceptable, the best way to praise the Lord with our lives and our hearts, to praise him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you give us instructions to follow out of your love for us, Lord, to keep us, Lord, uh, in the center of your care and keep us from harm, to keep us from things that you know are destructive to us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we go into our small groups, knit us together with one another, and to you, Lord, and help us to ponder all of the wonderful things that you do, and help us to, Lord, always be giving you thanks and praise for what you're doing, even the things that we can't quite tell or see and how you're going to work it out, but just to know your character, that we can trust you, that you are good, that you are merciful, and that you delight in us. We thank you and praise you that we get to be the sheep in your pasture, Lord. We praise you and thank you and ask that you would go with us and be with us, reminding us of this in our hearts, Lord, throughout the day, through every day by your Holy Spirit. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.